Just uh, a couple little uh, uh, kind of notes as I was wearing the mask on the front pew. Two things I noticed, and these are in favor of masks, these ones. Uh, number one, it contains my bad breath. I predict that the use of breath mints will go up over the next few months. Number two, it actually helped me to hear myself better when I was singing. And I noticed myself going off key. And I thought, oh my goodness, I hope I'm not always going off key. And I predict, secondly, that we'll all be in better tune in a few months because we'll be hearing ourselves sing more than we ever will. And uh, so just encouraging you, don't be afraid. It's just a piece of paper. It's not a big deal. Uh, put the mask on, make everybody happy, and uh, that's hopefully uh, what we'll experience. The truth is we're in very interesting times. Uh, in, in many ways, so many ways, uh, we've had a recent push to move against uh, shame and punishment, and uh, some of that's been welcome because it was a little bit over the top, uh, you know, whether, and, and by the way, I've lived in small, how many have lived in small towns under a thousand? I mean, there's a lot of pressure to do the right thing, I'll just tell you that. I, I remember in the one small town I lived in, this kind of uh, I don't know, he started a karate thing or something, but it became very clear that he was a very dishonest kind of take advantage of everyone person. I don't think he lasted six months in the town. And it was good. But sometimes the towns, the little towns can be really tough and they can shame you and they can make you feel really bad. And that's been, that kind of shame and fear has been kind of been correcting itself lately. But in some respects as I think about it, I don't know if this is going to be a sustainable future for us as a society. Uh, if we no longer have anything that we stand for, if everybody does what's right in their own eyes, and I'm not talking about us being robots, but in the scriptures we have all sorts of freedoms. But what I'm concerned about is that we are become more and more all about me. And this has been a repeated message over the last few months, and it is a huge concern of mine. Probably, honestly, telling the truth is because God's pointing it out in me. How selfish I am. How much I care just about me and nobody else. It's all about my happiness, my freedom, uh, my prosperity, whatever it might be. It's all about my future. It's not about how my wife feels. It's not about how my children are doing along. It's not even about the church. It's all about what are you giving me? And that's just not sustainable in our society. And I would argue on a stack of Bibles that if we don't start returning to a little bit of common sense and a lot of scriptural teaching, we as a society will implode. It, we will fall apart. And I think we're seeing some of the early signs of that. You might go, well, there's conspiracy theories and there's evil and corruption in the government. Oh, probably. But I think what's happening is in our hearts, individually. And unless we see a revival, we see a transformation, I think we're in trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. The one thing that seems to be missing in our teaching or our personal lives is honestly thinking about the future. And you're going to go, well, wait a minute. You just kind of 
ran all that down. Like, you know, I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to have an incredible retirement account and I'm going to be on a beach in, in my case. I like Florida, so I'm going to hang out there all the time. In one of the churches that I pastored, I had a family. They were the Magnus family, and some of you may know them. Two of the Magnus boys became Alliance pastors. Uh, the whole Magnus family were incredible, but the, the patriarch, the father of the Magnus family, he was a, an incredible guy, just passed away recently. And uh, I remember when I was pastoring there, he bought this, I don't know, some kind of GM. I, I was trying to remember my life of me to what kind of car it was, but it was a little GM two-door car, bright red. It was kind of a little sporty thing. And uh, his boys came home to visit for a family thing. And he was telling me this after. He used to invite me out to the seniors' place to play pool with him. And he was telling me, yeah, he says, boy, did my boys give me a hard time. And I was like, oh, wh about what? Well, I bought that car. And I said, yeah, it's a nice car. And he goes, they, they told me, he said. And he kind of was telling me this almost to see what my thoughts were. They told me, he said, that the reward I could have gotten in heaven, I'm now getting now in that bright red sports car. And he looked at me with a long pause, and I'm not going to tell you what I answered him, but I want to ask you the question, what do you think the answer to that should be? If we celebrate and spend everything on ourselves, is it going to jeopardize some stuff we get in heaven? And you might be going, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're kind of defiling the grace of God. No, no, read the scriptures. Yeah, your salvation is free, but a lot of how we're going to be living and acting, uh, rewards, etc. Corinthians talks about it, there's a few other places, uh, how we actually uh, take ourselves out of the picture and it's more of Jesus and it's kingdom expansion it is going to affect our future. And even the fact, if you're here or watching online and you have not yet received Jesus and his grace for salvation, I just want to encourage you to think about it. Uh, get off yourself for a while. And I know that even me saying this, the Holy Spirit's working on people. I know the Holy Spirit goes about and convicts men of sin, righteousness, and things to come. So I know, just declaring it, just saying, come to Jesus, some of you are thinking of it. And let me tell you, hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll be there. The answer that you would give to the question I asked about my friend having a bright red car and did it kind of cut into some of his reward in heaven, your answer may betray some bad theology. What I mean by that, and don't get me wrong, I believe God blesses his people and I believe you can have a bright red little sports car. There's no problem, or a nice pickup truck. I talked to somebody yesterday, it was a Duramax diesel, that was their dream. And I don't believe God's against that. But I always have to check my heart and if God has ever blessed me with something, I know that it's to bless others. Oh, I get a blessing off it, don't get me wrong. But sometimes we cling, we hang on, we protect, we, we polish, we, we, we uh, I've, for years I love teasing people with nice cars. I ask them, did you polish your idol this week? And I teased one guy and he actually sold his car, he felt so bad about it, and I, I didn't mean to do that. I was just teasing. But the truth is, where's your heart? 
uh, you start defending all the stuff you own and have, then maybe your heart isn't kingdom-minded. Now, if you understand that the stuff you've been given, and honestly, if you picked up, purchased, got a great bonus, ask, your, ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, the Lord might say, go buy a nice, bright, two-door red sports car, but then you ask, what do you want me to do with the bright red sports car? And hopefully you come up with some godly answers and not just hide it in bigger barns. Matthew ten seventeen to 27, or the parable of bigger barns in Luke 12, 16 to 25. Yeah, the rich, run, run, the rich young ruler in Matthew and the bigger barns in Luke. Uh, it really is a betrayal or really is an uh, enlightenment about a lot of people's hearts in the church. As I'm watching the COVID-19 debate or the mass debate, as I peel away some of the layers, I'm seeing a lot of self-preservation, a lot of selfishness, and a lot of fear on both sides. And I will ask Christians who post on Facebook, now, don't get me wrong, we need to be salt and light. But a lot of Christians that are posting on Facebook, some of it's really good stuff, it's like, you know, whatever, our society's this and that, and you know, I don't think I should wear a mask, and you can wear a mask, that's always good stuff. But a lot of us are betraying, and, and one of the betrayals you'll notice, whether it's a, a, a car you're defending or, or a purchase that you just bought that you're trying to say, it's all mine, get away. Uh, if you have a lot of anger, if you have a lot of uh, jealousy, uh, you have a lot of frustration, I, I can tell you that's not the Holy Spirit. Read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you're just filled with so much of, uh, doesn't matter what position you're on, doesn't matter if you're leading somebody to Christ. I remember hearing the story of Bible college of a great six foot six guy and he had gone downtown to witness to people to tell them about Jesus and he grabbed one guy and picked him up and put him against the wall and said, are you gonna repent? And I'm going, maybe that wasn't so motivated by the Holy Spirit. I, I never did hear if the guy repented. Hopefully he did because it might have hurt if he didn't. Today I want us to go to the book of 2 Peter, and if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And 2 Peter, it's one of those books we don't like to read a lot because it's one of those, it, it talks about a lot of uh, uh, repentance, uh, holy, godly living. Uh, it talks about considering others more important than ourselves. So 2 Peter chapter 3, so 1 Peter's been written by Peter, 2 Peter's now being written, you're, you're two chapters in, and then we get to these words in verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to, listen to this, stimulate, stimulate you to wholesome thinking. To stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Do you think any of us need a little bit of prodding, poking, pushing, eyes opening, stimulating to wholesome living. I would argue there's none of us, even this 59-year-old guy, needs to have lots of time with the Lord and in the Word. He then goes on and reminds in the next few verses about some prophets and things that prophets have written for our sake. And then in verse 7 he says this, By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for 
bright red sports car, think about it, are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And then Peter answers an important question. And the question that he answers is this. What's the hurry about following Jesus? Or what's the motivation? Or you could add anything in there. Should the heavens passing away, should what the prophets have told us about, about how we should live, should it motivate us at all? Should it change our lives at all? Should we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, listen very carefully. But the day of the Lord, so he said it's all going to pass away eventually. Everything's reserved for fire. It's going to be the day of judgment for those who are sitting there. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done it will be laid bare. Do you got the imagery? It's a little bit of a heavy, hey? It's not terribly popular in our culture. I mean, we just want to have feel-good feelings. I mean, it's amazing. I remember talking to one psychiatrist, and he told me the thing that he did when people came to see him was at the very end, he would give them some homework. And they weren't allowed to come back till the homework was done. And I said, why would you do that? He said, because people just want to come and spill their guts and me to pat them on the head, and they never want to take any action. And I think what Peter's trying to say to us is, take some action. Uh, everything will be done in it, and w- the earth will be laid bare. I just recently had lunch with a guy who had a very close brush with death. And I said, so, kind of what went through your mind? And he said, well, as I was laying there, thinking that maybe I'm going to die, he said, I thought, first thought was, the Lord's not done with me here on earth, because he started to recover They figured out what was wrong, and he began to greatly improve. And he figured, I have more for the Lord to do yet. And then my question is, or should have been, what does that look like then? I have been shocked over the years as a pastor because I've had a lot of opportunity to sit beside the bed of people that almost died. And I hear repeatedly, and I've done it myself, out of people's mouth, this is going to change me. I am not going to live like I did anymore. But I'm going to tell you honestly, both in my own experience and in the experience of watching other people, how quickly they go back to the same old, same old. Friends, we cannot read this text today and go back to the way things were. We just can't do it. Uh, Death, honestly, has a way of clearing our selfish agendas, doesn't it? It has a way of clearing our selfish agendas. But it's shocking how fast we revert back into it's all about me. Let me ask a question. Does the urgency of the heavens and earth being prepared for fire and judgment coming to the sinners, does the urgency of what's going to happen demand an immediate response? And I hope you can say with me, well, okay, you got me there. I'm kind of a trapped audience member here. I'll just agree with you. In other words, if you knew you just had a few days to live or a few weeks or a few years, would that change anything that you've done? But it's amazing how we've made death normal. And death is never supposed to be the way this world was. Adam and Eve sinned, and that brought about death. And now through Jesus, we have eternal life. 
And so why is it that we all live like tomorrow's never going to come or we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? We never think about others. Listen to these words from the scriptures as the text carries on in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought you to be? And then he answers the question. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I want to hang on that speed it's coming for a moment. Are you aware that how you live, the choices you make, following Jesus and listening to his word, listening to him in prayer, are you aware as you live righteously and turn from sin, it's going to speed his return? Are you aware of that? You go, well, it's just me. I'm just living in the grace of God. And I go, but are you really doing what's right? Are you letting the Holy Spirit change you and transform you? I've had conversations in the last week over and over and over with people who are in a moment or a place in their lives where they're just being transformed. They're, they're recognizing the soul wounds that they have, the, the hurts from the past and how, we make, how they make choices and how they have buttons that can be pushed in their soul and their being. And they've got to the point where they're not accepting it anymore. I've talked to people, men who have been addicted to pornography, and they say, I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm not going to have my prayers unanswered because of sin in my life. I'm not going to see my eternity at stake, and whether you believe in eternal salvation or not, we won't go there. But friends, we can speed the return of Jesus. And next time, and I should do this actually more often, somebody says, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. And the question should be, so what are you going to do about it? And people go, what do you mean, what am I going to do? How are you living? Did you know your righteousness following Jesus, putting others ahead of yourself, will speed his return? I mean, don't worry necessarily right now about giving more to missions or volunteering more at the church, although those are great kingdom principles. Worry about your own heart. Worry about how you're living, how you're listening to God. And you're going, well, you know, I think I prayed last week. And it's like, did you pray this morning? I mean, it, it just is so bizarre to me that sometimes I, I, I'm going to be, I may go a few days without praying, and then I'm in the back here with the worship team, and we're praying. And because I've kind of set my mind on God, all of a sudden, I had to pull out my iPad and change a few things, because God spoke to me, clarified things to me. And I sit there and go, why don't I spend more time hearing him? And I'm asking you, where's your heart today? How are you living? The text goes on. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with the heat. And so honestly, you know Matthew 24, 14 puts it this way. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. We have four main missionaries that we've been supporting as a church. We have some others too. But our four main missionaries, three of them are at home right now because of various reasons. 
One, Colette is still on the field, but the other three that we have have to be home. Uh, the one we heard from this morning's one. And by the way, if you've stopped supporting him, don't stop, because he is now at the chair or at the seat of a mission organization that can see the world transformed. And we've got to support those in Canada too. But friends, the truth is, change comes one person at a time. It's by us changing. How you live has eternal consequences for the whole world. And let me finish with one more point. There is some eternal motivation here. Uh, the text kind of gets you really freaked out, gets you really scared, gets you thinking about others, thinking about your own heart, thinking about living godly. Listen to verse 13. It gives you some more perspective and motivation. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward so if it freaked you out that your little red sports car is going to be burnt up in fire, listen to this. But in keeping with this promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's not going to be sin anymore. There's not going to be people being mean. Churches aren't going to fight anymore. So then, with this great revelation that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, there's going to be righteousness dwelling. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and I want to be blunt, if your life isn't showing any kind of move towards righteousness, and if the stuff you own is about you and not about others, be really careful. Since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Make every effort. Let me ask you, what's your regular routine of talking to God? Uh, the scriptures say pray without ceasing. I mean, when you're driving in the traffic, when you want to honk your horn and yell at others, <laughs> pray. Uh, I love taking times where I'm stuck in my car, doing something, going somewhere. Usually once a week, I drive out to Byzantine and I have lunch with the chairman of the elders board. On the way out there, I get so much praying done. I actually turn off my radio now. Because it's just a good time talking to God about what's going on in my life and God, is there any sin in my heart? Is there something I gotta deal with? Living for tomorrow's reward is not what our society cherishes today. I mean, two generations ago, you could not borrow money at banks like you can now. And so people knew about living for tomorrow. They would save, they would scrimp, they'd be careful. They'd hide it in their mattress because the banks weren't necessarily there or that reliable. Today, honestly, is about instant gratification. Some of us can save for five years for a boat or a sled, but to save for eternity in heaven, to, to spend on the kingdom of God expanding, to, to be able to support the Tristans of this world or the, the Colettes or some of our other missionaries or some other missionaries, you know, or, or even asking God those questions, should I be going? Should I be going? The gospel, and I want you to understand that, is not just about negative consequences. The gospel is about eternal reward and an immediate effect on the kingdom coming. Do you hear that? The gospel is about an eternal reward. Heaven and earth are changing, and the righteous will live there, and you will be rewarded, and it's also about an immediate effect when you get your heart right with God with bringing the return of Christ where all this earth will change. 
And I think for some of us, and I'm going to be honest again too. Boy, I'm doing a lot of honesty today. But I'll be honest here again too. Sometimes I don't want the world to change. I kind of like it. Well, I don't like the, ru- the, mu- the rust and the moths that eat my stuff away. But I kind of like my life. But if we get a proper view of heaven. Now, I actually originally had a bunch of passages in Revelation about heaven. The book of Revelation. Because, man, we've got to get a good view about the, the streets of gold and, and the jasmine and, and, and the buildings that look translucent and, and the river of life flowing, flowing from the throne of God, flowing from the throne of Jesus and the tree of life. I mean, just the, the, the no sin, no crying, no pain. I mean, we've got to get a good perspective. But we're living like that doesn't exist. And we're forestalling or slowing down the coming and the return of Christ because I am not getting my heart right. You might think, I'm only affecting me. No, you're not. You're affecting the whole world by how you're living. When you look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul describes a little bit of his philosophy. Listen to this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you imagine living like that? I remember Victor Zacharias went in the hospital. He was in his old age and about to die, and they were like, so how are you feeling, Victor? And I remember when I visited Victor, when I first started pastoring here, uh, he, he answered them. He said, I, I'm actually, I, I can't wait to die. And they, they actually brought in a psychiatric nurse to interview him, and I thought that was hilarious. But you see, Victor had it. He couldn't wait to die. If I... Verse 22, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Aren't you glad Paul lived? I mean, do you know, do you understand, do you recognize historically what Paul did? I mean, we as Gentile church would not exist if it wasn't for Paul being obedient. Yet what shall I choose, he says. He struggled. You read the book of Romans, especially Romans 7, and he really lays out what I want to do, I don't do, what I should do, I don't do. And I, I mean, he talks about this incredible tension. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, this was a selfless, selfless man. Anybody ever heard of Dwight L. Moody? Now, if you're really old like me, you've heard about him. I, I think we're, we don't tell the stories. This guy, we're talking back in the 1800s. He was one of the sort of forefront runners of revival in North America. I mean, just he was part of the alliances, A.B. Simpson. Uh, they were friends. Moody actually went to visit Simpson just to see how he did his Bible school, and he started up a Bible school. But, but listen to the story of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody didn't attend school beyond the fifth grade. He couldn't spell, and his grammar was awful. His manners were often brash and crude, and he never became an ordained minister. Did you know that of him? Once before his conversion, he so outraged an Italian shoe salesman with a prank that the man chased him with a sharp knife, clearly intending to kill him. Yet Dwight L. Moody was used by God to lead thousands of people to Christ. Moody's life of Christian service began with his conversion on this day, April 21st, 1855. Dwight came to Boston 
as a teenager from Northfield, Massachusetts, and he felt all alone in the big city. The boy was desperate for work, and uncle took him on as a shoe salesman on condition that he be obedient and that he attend Mount Vernon Congregational Church. The young man, Dwight L. Moody, had been raised in a Unitarian church which denied the full divinity of Christ and did not emphasize human need for salvation from sins. Now, Dwight heard about those things, but he decided that he wanted to enjoy the pleasures of the world and wait to get saved until just before he died. Oh, how many times I've heard, I'm, 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 I'm going to get back together one of these days, kick back another beer or buy another nice car. However, the kindness of his Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, turned young Moody into his lifelong friend and encouraged him to persist in his church attendance and regular Bible reading. Though Moody did not try to read the Bible, though Moody did try to read the Bible, he couldn't understand it. Kimball later said that he had never seen anyone whose mind was as spiritually dark as Dwight's. That changed on this day, April 21st, 1851. Kimball came to the shoe store to ask Dwight to commit his life to Christ. Dwight listened closely and became a Christian that day. Immediately, he began sharing his faith with others, including his own family. They wanted nothing to do with his faith. I will always be a Unitarian, his mother said. However, she converted, converted shortly before her death. And at, Dwight Mo and at first, Dwight Moody wasn't allowed to become a church member. And he asked what Christ had when asked what Christ had done for him, the nervous boy replied that he wasn't aware of anything particular. Leaders felt that was an unacceptable answer. When Moody later moved to Chicago, he wandered the streets to find young boys to bring to his Sunday school class. He had a passion for saving souls and determined never to let a day pass without telling someone the gospel of Jesus Christ. Often he irritated strangers. Listen to this. And we're going, well, we don't want to be offensive. Often he irritated strangers on the street by asking them if they were Christians or not. But his pointed questioning stirred the consciences of many. God used the converted shoe salesman to become the leading evangelist of his days. Estimates vary, but Dwight Moody is sought to have led as many as one million people to confession of faith in Christ. Among his many achievements on either side of the Atlantic was the founding of Moody Bible Institute. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine if Dwight L. Moody had said no? I happen to know that Moody was a, a kind of a sideways force in helping the Alliance. Like I said, him and Simpson were friends. I wonder if the Alliance would be what it is today. And some of my concern is what the Alliance is today. And don't get me wrong, I love my church, I love my denomination, but I have concerns. I have concerns for my heart. I have concerns for your heart. And I have a big, long conclusion. I'm gonna scrap that, by the way. And I just wanna ask you today, have you received Jesus yet? You say to yourself, well, eventually I'll get around to that, or, oh, I, I prayed some prayer years ago, and I'm gonna say, so? <laughs> you realize what the text said. This is all gonna burn up. And that's supposed to get us depressed because we're supposed to think about heaven, the new heaven and earth. And that's supposed to get us motivated. And let me tell you, I believe and I am convinced that alone isn't gonna help you. 
It's not going to motivate. It's not going to change you. You know what's going to change you? Setting a time every single day. Even if you read one Bible verse. I remember way back when I've told my kids this story. I worked for a concrete plant in Calgary, and I hated my job. Oh, you can't imagine. I was dirty, and the, the concrete and dust reacted to my skin. I got, I got girly skin, just to let you know. And it was real. I just didn't like the job at all. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember crying out to God one day, and God says, get up early. Oh, I should mention that I used to get up at 3.30 to go to work. And the Lord said, get up early. And I thought, well, how much earlier I can get up? So I got up at three. Remember the first morning, opened my Bible. I was so tired because I believed I could go to bed at midnight and still survive. So I hadn't got any sleep. And I remember looking at my Bible and I read one verse and God said, that's good. Glad you did that. What does it mean? And I prayed. It was a one sentence prayer. I kid you not. And I went to work all excited, and it was the worst day I'd ever had. I mean, my bosses were meaner. I had to work harder. I hated my job even more. And I remember asking God, what do I do? And God said, come to me again tomorrow morning. And then the next morning, and the next morning. You know, by time, I actually uh, uh, quit from the job and gave notice and stuff, and I was going to be heading off to Bible school and things. I actually started to like the job. And weirdly enough, all the trouble that I'd been given, I started to get promoted in the company and uh, began to be put in charge of a few other people and other things. I think I was only 20 or 21 then. But what a difference it makes if you connect with Jesus. What a difference it makes about, and again, I don't believe God's against you owning stuff. He is not at all. But who owns the stuff? Is it you or him? And when God says to you, I want you to lend out that, oh, on the video at the very start, the one girl's making belts, so... If, if God wants her to make a belt for somebody or to lend out a belt, hopefully she does. I'm sure she would. She's awesome. She loves Jesus. So where are you at today? Have you prayed to receive Jesus into your heart? It's transformational. Secondly, do you understand that the way you're living, the way you're behaving, it affects your children and your family, and this church, and this city, and this province, we need to get our hearts right with Jesus. We need to find out what it is to live a righteous, godly life. And it isn't a burden. It's, this is what I love about Christianity. It's, it's not like we have a list of rules, although there might be things that we want to follow and live like, but it's about the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's about his power and his presence and a walking, talking relationship with him. If your Christianity is just about creeds and doctrines and, and some Bible readings, then I'm sorry you've missed the point. It's about a relationship. When you read the word, it's him talking to you. When you pray and you stop and listen, it's about a two-way communication that goes on. And friends, we're going to be doing another Hearing God coming up this fall. I really encourage you to take that six-week course if you haven't. And we're going to be doing another set free, hopefully, Lord willing, with COVID and everything. And we're going to be doing some other stuff. And we hope to do another soul care. Friends, we need to keep growing because there's so much at stake for you and for others around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if there's somebody here today and they feel in their souls that something's just off, something just isn't right, I know, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak to us personally. And if people just quiet themselves
and listen. Oh, and I know Satan likes to condemn. He likes to tear down. He likes to accuse. But I'm talking about Holy Spirit stuff here. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do that kind of nasty, get angry, mean stuff. The Holy Spirit convicts and shows us where things need correcting. And when we repent, it leads to life. When we change, it leads to strength. And the devil would like to convince each and every one of us that we cannot overcome a certain sin we're struggling with, but that's a lie because in the cross is all the power we need to overcome. Oh, and it can be a challenge, it can be a struggle, and sin and soul wounds can be so embedded in us, God, but we, we get on our knees to you, and we don't want to live this way anymore. We don't want to live with anger. We don't want to live with jealousy. We don't want to live with greed. We don't want to live putting myself above everyone else out of some, some twisted idea that I have been mistreated my whole life and I'm going to take care of number one now. Oh, God, help us to see others as you see them. Oh, you've been talking to me so much even about the homeless on our streets and how I know they do a lot of theft. And I read on Facebook how angry people are and they want to hit them and beat them and do nasty things. And I think about these poor broken people on the streets and why they're making the choices they're making and what they need desperately is people to love them. Oh God, change our hearts. Let us be a people that are focused on eternity. Let us be putting stuff into that bank instead of to our earthly banks. And if we're saving money in our earthly banks, may it be for a good cause and a good purpose and a good reason. Oh God, help us, reveal to us where we've gone astray, where we aren't righteous and holy, and let us search the scriptures. Let us search our hearts, and let us bring, oh, that beautiful call of the trumpet where Jesus will come in the clouds and the stuff in this world will be done. COVID will be done. Unemployment will be done. A boss yelling or treating us badly will be done. Our marriage troubles will be restored and fixed. Oh God, help us to see eternity. And even as the song the team sang said, even though it might seem so awful right now, you God are faithful. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Please stand with me. If you want a little bit of motivation, uh, you know, a really good book on heaven, and it's getting to be a little bit old, but it's Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Just encourage you, go buy it. Or there's a really old book. I think it's 30 years old. It's by a guy by the name. He's a, he was, a, I don't even know if he's alive anymore. It's that old. It's called To Helen Back. And he, he's a cardiologist, and he kept having people die, and then he would bring them back to life. And he tells stories of what the people said to him, you know, it's like, it was awful, it was flames, it was isolation, or, oh, heaven was so beautiful. You can never trust people's testimonies by that, by the way, it's subjective. Satan is a great deceiver, but it really began to disturb this guy who'd grown up in a Christian church, and especially one day he had one guy that he brought back to life twice, I believe, and the second time the guy grabbed this doctor and said, there must be some prayer I can pray. 
and he remembered a prayer of repentance as a child, and he told the guy to say it. The guy died again, and when he came back, he looked at him and said, why did you bring me back? It was beautiful, and that shook Maurice up, and he got his life right with God. It motivated him. He said, hey, I need to figure out this stuff. And so if you need some motivation, read some books like that. But again, just be really careful. If you ever wonder stuff, I've gotten used to doing this when I'm searching stuff now on the internet. I, I usually will search, uh, let's say I'll, I'll search uh, uh, near-death experience. And then I'll type in Gospel Coalition. And there'll be some really good articles. Uh, trust some good websites. Careful of what you read out there. Uh, some of them, I read an article, shouldn't even say it, it was NBC News, and I went, this is garbage. I can't believe they're putting this on. The guy, it was against Christianity, and the guy was so, he had some anger issues or soul wounds or something, but, and he cloaked it and hid all his opinions about Christianity in some intellectual stuff, and I, I could see the errors in his argument. It was just crazy, and I thought, who can you trust? But there are some good websites out there, Focus on the Family, Gospel Coalition, guys like that. Uh, there is some good books to read. Read your Bible. It's a great place to go. But more than anything, I want you to remember this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you. You know, this is that breathing, living, active faith that you can have. May he sanctify you. He, his being come into all parts of you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Over and over it says it. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Go in peace.